The Teach Middle East podcast is brought to you by Schoolfinder.ae. Schoolfinder.ae is a comprehensive schools directory serving the United Arab Emirates. Is your school a member? Go to Schoolfinder.ae to find out more. Now, enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Teach Middle East podcast. My name is Lisa Grace and this is officially the last episode of the 2021-2022 academic year and it is absolutely fitting that my guest on this episode is none other than Oli. I, I want to say Oli, 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 Oi, 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 but I, I know that's not professional so it is Oli Lewis himself who is my guest on this podcast, and we're going to be chatting it up. We're going to be looking back at his time in this region. We're going to talk, of course, Learn Live UAE, the legacy that he's leaving or maybe continuing, who knows. We're also going to look at EdTech, where that's going, what's his thoughts on that, touching a little bit on digital cognition and exploring whether or not Oli will still have his fingers in some Middle Eastern pie as We unfortunately will not be having him any longer in the region. He's moving back to the United Kingdom, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the pod. You are listening to the Teach Middle East podcast, connecting, developing and empowering educators. Hi, Oli. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. And it's an absolute honour to feature in the last episode of the 2021-22 series. I really love what you do with the podcast. I think it's awesome. Keep doing it. And congratulations on the like thousands and thousands of downloads that you've had. It's awesome. Thank you. The downloads, the listenership is all due to this fabulous network of educators that we've built here in the region through Teach Middle East. I like, I love this region for the togetherness that has come about. It wasn't always here, but it's come about. Oli, intro. Who is Oli Lewis? <laughs> for those who um, don't know. Oli Lewis is a, a first and foremost father and husband. I think it's important to, to kind of get that right, family first. After that, I'm just an educator and a teacher that's got a passion for much like yourself, Lisa, just providing a platform for others to connect, share, collaborate and continue the conversation. I'm, I'm a huge believer in the fact that you hear people on Twitter kind of say hive mind. And I think the more that we can learn from others in our experience, we can apply that to our own setting and our own context. So lots of the work that I do outside of the school that I'm based in revolves around that, much like you. It's just continuing that conversation and driving the discussion. And that's come about through initiatives like Learn Live UAE that are co-founded with a friend of mine, Mark Anderson, right in the start of the pandemic, or co-presenting on the EdTech show, or presenting at Teach Middle East events, like Teach Middle East was going to be the, the leadership one this year, but sadly couldn't make that. But the Teaching and Learning Conference, or guest events, you know, or the Abu Dhabi Teacher Conference, and the, the list goes on. I like to get involved in stuff. It's good. And we, we're glad that you have freely shared with us your expertise in the region. I mean, I am a massive, massive proponent of teachers putting themselves out there and really making their voices heard. So let's take it back to what led you to come to the Middle East in the first place. 
Why did you choose to leave the UK and come out here? Just fancied a change, really. I mean, I'd, I'd been in the school that I was in for five years. So I'd, I'd done 10 years across two schools in the UK. So five in state schools, five in independent schools. We just had a baby. You know, no secret, the packages are pretty good out here. It took the pressure off my wife a little bit. It meant that she could be a stay-at-home mum, taking the pressure off us as a family, and just wanted a bit of sun for a few years as well, to be quite honest. And you don't have to look very far on social media to see people raving about the place. It is a great place to live and to work. And we just thought, you know what, let's give it a shot. The school, was its reputation was pretty good, and it was a... Technically speaking, a sideways move that I was happy to make. You know, I was, I was quite happy in middle leadership and, and have been in my time here and just thought, let's give it a go. We were quite pragmatic. We didn't work out and go home. But there's armies of teachers on Twitter saying that the UAE is great and it has been. It's been fantastic. How long have you been out here? Four years now, which is, I, I, people fall into kind of one of two categories, don't they? And I think I'm somewhere in the middle. You either come and stay for 10 years. Or you do your two years and you go. And I think, you know, most people don't do two contracts like myself. They end up in that kind of loop of contract after contract after contract. But leaving on a good note, I think, quite happy to go home. There's other factors at play as, as there always you know, is in life. You have to make some decisions. My daughter's quite young. Her only grandparent is quite old. You know, that pulls on the heartstrings a little bit. So that's, that's kind of like driven the decision to go back. Yeah, I, I was joking with Oli, um, listeners. I was saying I give him until February um, <laughs> when the dark days start in the UK for him to be like, listen, Lisa, guess what? I've decided to move back. But no, all jokes aside, I think you've really left or are leaving a, a really big impression on this region, especially with the work that you've done through, you know, your involvement in different things out here. So it is that time of year, obviously, when people move and when there are people who are on their way to the region who are looking to, you know, come out and do exactly what you've done. Or maybe they'll end up like me and be out here for 10 years and not having a fixed return date. (laughs) What What advice would you be giving to educators who are now packing up their lives and getting ready for that move in August? Just embrace the change. I think that's the most important thing to do like you've already taken one step out of your comfort zone by applying to move internationally whether you're moving as a a single person or with a couple or a family embrace the change and say yes to stuff that you wouldn't normally say yes to at home whether that's going on a you know desert safari or doing something that's totally not you just get involved with it because that's the way that you meet people make friends foster relationships and and build your professional learning network as well as the personal friendship. So embrace change and don't be shy to ask for help. I know that teachers have this culturally in lots of schools, this kind of like badge of honour where you, I don't ask for help when I'm struggling. If you are struggling, just ask for help. You know, speak to people. Everyone has been there and done that. When you think about it, the UAE is a massively expat community. I think I'm right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is like 90% of the country are expats. Yeah. Yeah. So reach out and ask people and use the power of social media for the tool that it is. You can DM people and ask them about their experiences, you know, even if they don't work directly in your schools. And people are super willing to talk to each other out there. And I think that's a real strength of educators in this region is, is they're open to that discussion and will help you. 
So embrace the change. Just say yes to loads of stuff and get involved with it and ask for help if you need it. Yeah, definitely. Solid advice. I think also what I would add to that is if you are coming out here for the first time, please don't compare it to anything you've left back home. Just embrace it for the newness that it is, because definitely it's going to be a completely different experience. And it doesn't help you to say, oh, this is not how we do it back home. Just leave that where it is and just come and learn how it's done here and embrace the newness, embrace the change. Okay, Ollie, Learn Live UAE. What have you learned from hosting that show for the period that you've done that? Wow, that's a that's a, a tough one. Right at the start, I used to watch some of the episodes back <laughs> just to try and improve my own kind of interpersonal skills and hosting. There's so many things I, I could say here. People are awesome, I think, is the first thing to acknowledge. It, it would never be what it is without people like yourself and the hundred other educators that came on the show. You know, hats off to them. People give freely of their time to come and share and continue the discourse and the discussion. So I think my first point on that is, is just people are awesome and thank you to all of those folks. There's more that unites us than divides us is probably the second point. And I, I take my hat off to my co-host, co-founder on that, Mr. Anderson. That's a phrase that he uses quite a lot. And I've never really appreciated that until teaching in the Middle East, you know, Going back to some of the things I've said before, you know, people will share their experiences, whether it's openly on a platform like this or behind closed doors. You know, there are so many similarities in the education experience in the UAE that having that prolonged discussion and discourse with people is hugely important. People are so willing to just have that discussion, more so than I've ever experienced in the UK, which is great. I think the other thing that I've learned from the show is be really mindful of the rate of pace of change. You know, in the UAE, stuff can change really quickly. And there's also a, a tendency outside of education, but also within education to kind of keep up with the Joneses, which I think can also be quite a dangerous tightrope to navigate at times. So I think it's what I've learned from many of our guests is understand your context, understand your audience, understand the narrative and accept that some things will change quite quickly and others will take a bit of time, but nurture and nourish that, whatever it is in your specific context. And just learn from it and keep the discourse going, especially inside your own school, because the minute you stop talking about those things and stop putting value on what you value and what you're trying to change, you know, you've got to pay service to the subject, whatever the subject is, if it's digital strategy or teaching learning or improving oracy, Whatever it is, you know, keep that discourse going and be open and transparent about it. Because as soon as you stop doing that and it stops becoming part of the everyday conversation in your school, it naturally will kind of witter out. Yeah. Yeah. No, solid advice and good learning from the show. What's going to happen now? Are we not going to have Learn Live anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Mark and I keep talking about this. We were saying we were going to do a, a kind of throwback sort of style show before the end of the year, but we've both just been so busy that we haven't had a chance to. Some people have approached us to take the show on. Other people have asked to partner with us. We can't decide at the moment is the honest truth. I mean, it started as something to continue the discussion and sharing during the pandemic, but now that's kind of lifted and we're moving back to face-to-face -face events not sure. 
to be completely honest with you, Lisa. I mean, I won't live here if I if I end up back in February. Maybe it'll start up again. <laughs> Who knows? But the other thing to be mindful of is, is Mark doesn't live out here either. And whilst it's been absolutely fantastic to provide that platform for schools and educators in the region, I'll be sad to see it go, but it was an awesome experience. But there are other really successful, awesome learning opportunities going on in the region, like this podcast. Yeah, I think what made it really nice is the live element. So, yes, we do have like the Teach Middle East podcast, but we have others as well. But what I loved was the variety of guests. So I watched nearly all of the episodes, like like a fangirl. Um, And I like the fact that it was live. So you don't get that element of live follow it step by step when, you know, it's recorded. It's it's a little bit different. So obviously I will miss it if it doesn't come back to the region or if, you know, if it's a situation where the Learn Live evolves into something else, at least it's a good legacy, a good foundation. And they live online so people can always go back and, and check them out. So let's kind of deviate from that and talk a little bit about something else that I know that you're quite passionate about, which is education technology, because you are on the EdTech show as well with Mark, aren't you? Yep. So if you were to, and I know this is a really unfair question, but I have to, I just have to, (laughs) I can't help myself. (laughs) What is your favorite EdTech tool? I know, I know, right? It's hard. It's it depends on the, the task at hand, but I think overall, if I had to choose just one thing out of everything, it would be OneNote, I think. I think that's, that's my favourite tool for a plethora of reasons. It's a one-stop shop where you can house all of your learning for the students. They can access it anywhere at any time, which is really important in the current day and age, I think. You can reduce your workload by providing audio feedback for students, which I think is awesome. You can embed things within it. Any work that you've previously created, whether it's a presentation, worksheet, you know, spreadsheet of data, literally anything, you can embed within there and the students can use that. And you can share stuff back and forth with the students, literally two clicks of a button. There's a collaboration space in there that everybody can access. There's private space in there where the students work, and the teacher can see. I just think it has such variety in it. And more importantly than probably anything is the assistive technology element to it. So it has a translation tool automatically built into it where you can translate to over 50 languages at a click of a button. So if you have a student in your class that only speaks Arabic or Korean or, you know, Afrikaans or literally anything, you can translate it for them in their native language, which is absolutely incredible. And then it's also got immersive reader built into it. So it will assist the students with accessing their learning on top of all of the other awesome stuff that it does. So I think that's probably my tool. That's a good one, actually. I mean, I know not every school is a Microsoft school, but Mm. I think OneNote is actually pretty awesome myself. When you think about EdTech and you think about the plethora of technology that comes at teachers, what advice would you give teachers in terms of how they adapt and adopt education technology in their classroom? I think the first thing to be mindful of is, is there really a need? I Mm. think we saw a bit of the Wild West as an analogy at the start of the pandemic, where not only were vendors giving stuff away for free, schools were just adopting stuff, A, because it was free, and B, because 
someone somewhere said, yeah, I need that. Okay, let's have it. So I think the first thing to be mindful of is, do you have a real need for that? You know, what's the efficacy of your decision-making around adopting that piece of technology? And how is it going to enhance not only the learning, but workload for teachers at the same time? And if the answer to those questions is a resounding, like, yes, then I think it's a good thing to explore. I think more and more now people are, are approaching those questions with a bit more of a granular look, which I think is a good thing because it does answer those questions and identify if there really is a need. The other thing which I think is really important is there are more and more examples of sharing of best practice between schools, but also through reports like the Education Endowment Foundation. Well, they're not necessarily recommending the tools themselves, but they're recommending how they can support teaching, learning and well-being. And I think what's really strong in this region is you have kind of trailblazers like, for example, Luke Reese and Steve Banbury 10 years ago with their iPad initiative at, at Jess. People are really keen to share their experiences with those technologies and share what impact and influence it's had across their school. And I don't think you can put a price on um, teacher and school experience in those instances. It's mindful to acknowledge that not everything will work for everyone and something will work somewhere for most people but is it fit for you your purpose your context is there really actually a need for it or are you just doing it because it looks shiny and whizzy and I think hand on heart we can probably all say we did a bit of the shiny and whizzy stuff at the start of the pandemic and that served a purpose because it engaged people but does it serve that need and purpose now so I think the main thing is it needs to be learner-centered and if it positively influences learning and teaching, then it's a good thing. But don't be scared to kind of try it and go, actually, this didn't really work for us and say no, like it's okay to say no to stuff. Yeah, I think at the start of the pandemic, people were so eager to just try anything that they were just saying yes. And then all the tech companies came on and they wanted to, I guess, give the technology so that they could say they had all these pilots. I remember we did an article like, what was it called? I think like the top 10 ed tech tools for schools or something. We had so many companies <laughs> coming to us. I'm like, can we be added to that list? Can we be added to that list? And I was like, no, like, it's not like that. Because when you do that, you're recommending stuff. And maybe people don't even need that. Here's a crazy question, Oli. Yeah. What's a piece of tech or a software that you wish you had, but it does not exist? Wow, that is a crazy question. What do I wish I had that doesn't exist? Or that you can't find, you don't know if it exists. Wow, you stumped me on that one a little bit. I would like, I don't know, actually, you've totally caught me out with that question. No, no, it's what, okay. What, it's okay. Would, it's good because the listeners can be thinking about that. So if you if yeah. you can't answer it, it's fine as well. But listeners, think about that. What is one that you definitely wish existed and it doesn't here's another throw out question for then. you or the listener which ed tech tool i hope they don't find you and shoot you though that's <laughs> but which ed tech tool would you like throw away immediately like that piece of thing is not necessary oh. you don't have to give a brand but you can say the one that does this oh the, uh, i've used a few different visualizer brands in my time, and there's one particular brand that was terrible. 
Um, IPVO is the one that I recommend. They're awesome. Their visualizers are really good. But there, there's another brand. You don't have to search too far. They gave me a free one. I had to write an article for them and I tested it out and it was it was just it was awful. Bad visualizers that are overpriced is, is probably what I would I would throw out straight away on that one. Yeah, and I hope the listeners can list a few. Keeping in tune with EdTech, digital cognition, what is it and why should we pay attention? It's a kind of a hybrid term across two things. So obviously the science of learning, cognition, has really come to the forefront of teaching in the last couple of years, as has digital learning. So it's my way of kind of smashing two ideas together, really, in terms of digital cognition. But it's something that we all experience. You know, we've all been in that position where you've got some kids in front of you in the classroom, you've got some online on whatever video software you're using. You might have also had some down the hall, you know, in a satellite classroom when we had those restrictions. And we've all been in that position where we're, as the teacher, cognitively overloaded, but we're trying to navigate the digital world at the same time whilst maintaining a cool, calm persona for the children so that they know that everything's underhand, everything's going to be okay, don't worry, guys, we've got this. And the more I think about that, the more I think, at what cost can that come to not only the students, but also the educators? You know, you hear teachers more so than ever, probably this year and certainly last year, say that they're tired and they're overloaded. And is there an influence, not only from digital learning, but from our own cognitive capacities as a result of being in that kind of constant hybrid state? And the more I think about that, the more I think, well, what are institutions doing to support teachers not only in developing their digital skills so that they don't feel under cognitive kind of load whilst they're using certain technologies, but also in terms of monitoring their own well-being to make sure that, you know, the ecosystem as a whole, if we look at the person, but also everybody in the school, can actually take tangible actions to support everybody within that organisation. You know, if you think of us as humans and individuals, we ourselves are an ecosystem. All of the systems in our body work to maintain equilibrium. You know, mostly those systems are are invisible. You know, we're a a rich world of cells, essentially, that all work together. We're made of approximately about 100 trillion different microbial cells and then about 10 trillion human cells. And education is not really any different. It's lots of different moving parts working together to maintain an equilibrium and try and improve things. So... Whether you look at it from an individual or a department or a school or a group of schools or education as a whole, you know, we're made up of a series of different intricate things, cells that are working together to try and improve outcomes for students. And I wonder, are we measuring some of those elements of not only digital learning, but cognition of teachers and how they're feeling? You know, we're pretty good in education at using metrics to define things specifically outcomes most of the time for students but you know how effective are we at measuring the educator and how they're feeling and their success to realign them to make sure that their well-being's at the forefront so that you know they can produce the best learning opportunities for the students and education at times feels a bit yardsticky i think you know we measure things with relative frequency like a metronome, don't we? You know, if we're not measuring the students, we're going to measure something else about the students. But now, are we measuring the control variables that we have in our context, which is what we're doing, why we're doing it, the systems that are in place? And, you know, what are the common lines in the sand? 
in your organisation? What are your variants? What are your classifiers? What are your qualifiers? And how do you use that information to gain metrics from them to make sure that what you're doing, the data you're collecting, is both true and valid, but supports teacher cognition, teacher well-being, but also the learning of the students. And EdTech you know, is a great tool for that. There's been an increasing spotlight on it in recent years. But finding your kind of educational nexus or equilibrium can be quite a challenging thing for schools. You know, simultaneously at the top of that, you know, measuring things can be really difficult. Your efficiency and effectiveness of not only the technology, but your methods of measurement can have a, a direct impact to learning ultimately, as an organisation, but also for the children. So the, the quality of the systems that you have in place becomes really important, along with the agility of your educators. So the more I kind of think about all of those and the vast data that schools produce and collect across its real estate, the more I wonder about the idea of you know, attributing correlation and causation with digital technologies, teacher wellbeing, and workload. And that's been kind of my stream of consciousness over the past couple of weeks i think and it leaves me with lots of lots of different questions but that's good i think some of them are answerable and some are not so tangible to answer but i think in the education space there's lots of discourse around that discussion certainly at the moment yeah i don't know if you're familiar with the work of matthew savage but matthew talks about are we measuring the right things and he also talks about the fact that we measure so much, but we miss so much of the important stuff. And he has this thing called the Mona Lisa effect. And I think it's something that maybe if you had a look at it, some of the thinking that you're doing now and some of the questions that have come up, I'm not saying he has found the answers, but he also has similar questions. And you guys have a lot of similarity in your thinking. Like, what is the relationship between this increased use of technology, this increased screen time with staff and student well-being, and how are we mitigating, what are we doing to ensure that we're not causing relatively permanent damage to our cognitive abilities with this kind of extreme overload of information and switching, especially the switching between this online and offline world in which we exist. Big questions, Ollie. You know we yeah. can't answer them <laughs> in one little podcast. <laughs> no. You know we can't. But it's really good question. Lots to think about in there, you know, especially as we draw a curtain on this academic year and start this whole reflective period and thinking about where do we go from here? You know, what is our next step, especially as an education sector? I think that's that's really important, and, and now's the time where you need to make those decisions as a as a department, school, organisation around. Okay, you've got all this information. What are you going to do with it? We should do something with some of it at the very least. You know, lots of it is contextual to your particular setting, but how do you know the systems you've set up are succeeding? What mechanisms can you put in place to support them next year? You know, what are you basing your decision making process on? Is it qualitative data? Is it quantitative data? I think it's important to reflect on that stuff, as you said. And I, I'm going to ask you off the pod for the name of the book that you mentioned, because I think I need to read that. It sounds excellent. No problem. I'll connect you actually with, it's not a book. He does 
consultancy and it's almost like his movement because he wants schools to really look at data from a, a really different perspective, not the traditional progress and attainment. He really has some deeper questions that schools need to answer. And I think you'd resonate with them. So, Oli, what's <laughs> okay. next? What's next? What's next for Oli? Um, move to the UK. At the moment, we're, we're kind of in no man's land because we're 10 days from flying. Today's the 28th of June. I'm moving to work in a mat. It's the Thomas Deacon Education Trust. It's got 10 schools within the trust. I am stepping out of the classroom to lead on digital transformation, which is possibly why I'm, I'm pondering all of these different aspects around digital technologies, cognition, well-being. And I'm super excited to work with, you know, close to 500 teachers across the trust in different settings. It's going to be awesome fun and I, I cannot wait to get stuck in really. Apart from the weather, you're going to smash yeah. it. You're going to smash it. It's just the weather I'm worried about with you, but you're going to smash it. Thank you. You could send me photos to wire me up every Friday lunchtime. <laughs> I might do that. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's going to be an awesome opportunity. I'm really excited. But I think you speak to anybody that, that steps out of the classroom that's still in education, and the one thing that is constant across all of that is missing the children in the classroom. Like, that's typically the most exciting part. So I'm hoping that uh, in the not-too-distant future within the trust, I can still get my foot in the door a little bit to teach a little bit of physics because that is, of course, my first love prior to EdTech. So will we still be seeing a little Ollie in the region, putting his fingers in a few pies here and there? Or are you just like going to vanish and we never like hear from you again? What's going on? Um, I So I'm going to be a, a guest award judge for Ooh. November. Um, they've asked me to be a judge. So I'm really looking forward to delving into all of the entries. Congrats. Yeah, um, it's really nice to be asked, having picked up kind of two of those awards in the past. In terms of how else might I get involved, I'm not sure if I'll be over for the guest event in November. I don't want to say it's like a Band-Aid where you rip off and you forget all about it because the UAE has been really good to me and for me and with me in all different aspects. So you never know, I might be back. I'll still probably write the odd article here and there. You know, I, I need to step up my game there a little bit. I took my foot off the gas with that and with all of the different events that I'm I've been involved in, whether it's ADTC or you know, Learn Live UAE and such, but I'll probably still write some thoughts down and, and share that through Teach Middle East. I would hope in the future, might they come back? Never say never. I think that's how the world works these days, isn't it, Lisa? Yeah, never say never. I think that's a good place to end the pod. Never say never. We might see Ollie back. I keep saying it, but remember I told you, if he comes back after the first winter, people... I predicted that, believe. And <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ali. It's been my pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Lisa. It's an absolute pleasure to work with you on so many different initiatives over the last four years. I love everything that you do and the platform that you provide for educators in the GCC region. If you're listening to this and anything resonated, write for the magazine. You know, get involved. Apply to speak at the Teaching Learning Conference that's coming up in August. You never know where it might take you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Teach Middle East podcast. Visit our website, teachmiddleeast.com, and follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes. <laughs>